0: Have you ever taken the law into your own hands? Anybody here? You decided, you know, this thing, maybe you're on a playground as a kid, and you're like, I've got to address this. And you could have gone to, like, the teacher, but instead, like, you decided maybe to do it yourself. Maybe um, as you got old, got older, maybe uh, there were, you know, different situations where you're like, I've got to do this. i got to fix it. Maybe you're one of those people that, even as an adult, that when there's a problem, people come to you, and uh, if you have to use maybe unholy means to address it, you're more than willing to do it. You know, it may, maybe, uh, and it may not be something where you're like kind of putting your fist up and saying, I'm going to fight you. But rather, you know, it's something like you... Uh, you fight in another way, a more civilized manner. Uh, then maybe some people wouldn't even know what you were doing. Maybe it's all secretly that you do it, which is not really generally that secret. But you got to think about that. You think about situations, and you consider them, and you kind of wonder, do you ever do that? You take the law into your own hands and decide that you're going to... Um, Use whatever means necessary to get the right thing done. That would kind of be the, maybe the mantra of some. You're convinced of something that is right, and you go about it to get it right in the wrong way. I mean, that, that's something I think you have to kind of consider, look at yourself and wonder, like, is that ever an issue? Um, have you ever realized that that mistake that you made was very costly? Like once you decided, I'm going all in, doing it my way, going to execute justice, and then it costs you dearly. Um, it, it's it, it really is when you look back probably, sometimes you're like in the moment, no it didn't, I got it done, I got it done. But then you look back and you think about all the carnage. Maybe you look back and you think, of, look at the piles of of, of trash that's now been put together and it's on fire back there. And I've burned all these bridges. Lived a life of burning those kind of bridges. Maybe it's something like that. I, you know, I don't know. You know, sometimes we can even go so far as to cloak our sin in some misapplied mis- truth about God. Like we could kind of like say, this this is what the Lord would want. This is what the Lord would want. And so... I. Maybe he'll turn a blind eye to what I'm about to do. I know it's what he wants. That happens, and sometimes we wouldn't put it that way, but that is really uh, at the heart of what's going on today. Um, I I would even go a step further and say, have you ever been in a situation where someone said, hey, I took care of that for you? You're like, really? (laughs) What, What did you take care of, you know? And then you find out about it and you're like, that doesn't seem like the right way to go about that. Or you're kind of like, man, I did not expect you to take care of that for me in that way. Um, it, it's, there's a lot of different ways that we are faced with uh, people doing things that, like, where, where you would say like, man, injustice seems rampant. And we're, we're kind of around it. And maybe we we're even participating in it or maybe we didn't even know we were participating in something because people were thinking, like, that's what they would want me to do. All that stuff's around us all the time. We have to say, like, that doesn't look like the kingdom. And it may look like earthly kingdoms. It may look like the right thing to do, but it does not look like God's kingdom. And today we're going to kind of say, and this is kind of at the heart of it, we will see that injustice does not establish the kingdom. That's just something you could just say. That's not the way. God doesn't do wrong things to get the right things done. And so He is not. Um, that's not how He works. God is righteous. God is holy. God is just. And we are to pursue that. Now, if you you may have uh, heard this quoted, actually Martin Luther King Jr. quoted it in one of his famous speeches. But it's Amos chapter five verse twenty four. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. And what what is that? I mean, what's that helping you see? It's saying that is the way God acts. And and really, it's in the context of saying Israel was not acting in that way, but this is how God is, this is how his kingdom is, this is how people should be. So, where are we at today? We're thinking about injustice, we're looking at this. We're thinking about the kingdom of God and we're remembering that David is now kind of the, uh, he is about to become the king of all of Israel. Remember Saul's dead, there was kind of this resistance to David, the, this commander of, of Saul's army kind of rose up against David, he puts one of Saul's sons as a king for a couple of years, his name was Ishbosheth. last week Abner dies, this week Ishbosheth will die. So uh, that's kind of where we are, and that's what's going on, and we will kind of see that unfold before us today. Now, when you're thinking about the monarchy and we're looking at all that's going on here, uh, again, we'll just have to keep reminding ourselves, like, what is God's kingdom like? What should it be like to us? How should we think about it? How should we as kingdom people live? What are the kind of ways in which we are to address things and deal with things uh, there's constantly kind of things that will come to our minds. but I think at the heart of it today you just keep thinking about that reality God, God's kingdom is not built by injustice that's not the way in which he is establishing things he does not he acts justly he acts righteously um, maybe some of you uh, when you think about I don't know if you were thinking about the way in which these stories are unfolding. Some of the stuff in early Israel makes you feel like uh, there's a temptation to make it like the kingdom an organized crime family. It's like if, if it would have been left up to some of these people, it'd be like uh, Israel would be more like a mafia, you know? And David, like a Michael Corleone. He's like, well, it started out a little rough, a lot of people died. And then. You know, after a little bit, we, tried to, we got it legitimate, you know? That's, that's kind of what's coming at David. I mean, he's facing a lot of those kinds of things. But David's not called to be a godfather for Israel. He's really not. He's called to be the king. And his kingdom is not like some kingdoms of this earth. So that's kind of, uh, for me, when I'm thinking about it, I, that helps me. Uh, God doesn't need henchmen He's not setting up his kingdom in that way. David does not accept that, and we see that on display. So, again, injustice cannot establish the kingdom, and we're going to kind of unpack that this morning. You ready? So, chapter 4, verse 1. Let's look at just kind of what I would call it almost unbridled evil. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, actually. So we start out, and there's just kind of the situation is laid out before us. After Abner dies, this, this uh, leader that's kind of really the one guiding Israel at the time, after he dies, Ish hears about it, his courage fails. It's like he goes from like being excited to like terrified, probably. His only hope was this guy. And all of Israel is dismayed. They're like, There's no hope for us. I mean, if Abner's gone, who was really the most powerful man in Saul's kind of regime after Saul died, uh, what, what hope do we have? Now, then we're introduced, just kind of getting the situation here. We're introduced to two men, two brothers, uh, Bena and Rechab. The, these two guys, uh, they are raiding, they're kind of captains of raiding bands. I think about like when you watch some, uh, I mean, there's certain movies that I've watched where, I I can't recall one off the top of my head right now, but it's almost like uh, there are people that are working kind of secretly to to do things, or or they're doing the the things that nobody wants to do. Like if you were going to put out a chart of like, here's the general, and here's like assistant generals, and here's this, and here's that, they're not on the list at all. They're just not there. They don't exist. They're like the secret people out there doing things that nobody really wants on their record kind of people. That's that way I would see them. They're a part of raiding bands. And so they're going in and just, they're doing the things that you don't want to tell anybody about kind of people. And so there's these two guys mentioned. We see uh Ish-bosheth, he's down and out, broken. We are introduced to these two men. And then you go down in verse 4, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son, and he was crippled in his feet. So we have Saul's son um, uh, that is just co- totally like has no courage. He, all the strength is let out of him. You have Jonathan's son who's been crippled from five years old on. And all of Saul, you're kind of seeing the weakness and the crumbling of Saul's family and of Saul's um, uh, his his kingdom and all that stuff it's kind of falling down before us and, and we see that everyone really would look at this and say there's no hope for Israel as as we know it now if you were in David's place you could see how it's almost like you could go in and push it over like everything about Saul's family could be like I could do a way, David could send like a couple of men and, and just knock it over. There's nothing to it. It's not strong. You see it's kind of weak and broken. And and you think like he could do that himself in any moment. But the question is, why would David not do that? And why does David not do that along the way? Again, it, it has to do with him trusting the Lord. But let's go on. Verses 5 through 7, we see kind of the situation Everyone's in a state of kind of uh, just shocked by the situation with Abner, broken, uh, without courage, uh, hopeless and helpless. Verses 5 through 7, these two men, Rechab and Bayonet, they are these guys I would call almost like henchmen. They just look at the situation and they decide, the only hope for us is not to kind of go and fight, but and and not to go say hey let's go fight against David I mean it's clear that he is the stronger one why don't we join with David and they think how could we join with David and so in their minds they're thinking like look at our king he's he's in a hopeless state he's not going to do anything um why don't we decide to take him out we could assassinate him wouldn't David be really excited about that and so Evidently, that's kind of what they were thinking. So they wait till the heat of the day in a very cowardly-like way with a man that is totally distraught and broken. And they wait until the heat of the day where he would be resting. And so he's taking his everyday nap. They go in as if they're going to get food. It's almost like the door has been opened to them to go and grab food as they needed in the king's house, whatever that looks like. They go into him. They stab him in the stomach, and they kill him. And, and if you're looking at this, if you're reading it, you might think, well, what? what this seems kind of weird. They stab him in the stomach, then in verse 7, it talks about him lying in his bed, and they struck him and beheaded him. You know, I mean, how does all that work? I think it's just a way of repeating kind of the same thing. So basically, they stab him, they cut off his head, and they hightail it out it's it's one of those moments where you're like, this is a bloody mess this is it 's like a a hit. Two hit men go in two people like go in and assassinate a man who 's sleeping it's it's a kind of a shocking picture when you 're looking at it and you think, God, I mean what is going on here um and, and it really does leave you kind of wondering is this is, what, is this what the kingdom's going to be like for the for i mean is that what it's going to look like like um You basically, you know, have these people murdering this person and murdering that person and murdering this, and that's just the way it's going to be? I mean, is that kind of like a normal thing? So we could say, we know that that's not true. We've said injustice cannot establish the kingdom. And I would just say, for us, we say, beware of that. Beware of unbridled evil. Beware of examples like that. Beware of people that you see that look like kind of, they're almost like thugs off the street, is kind of the picture there. You got to watch out for, like, if that's the way that God's kingdom's going to look, like, that is far from what was intended. So we go to verse 8. And this is where it gets interesting. And so these guys go all night, they bring the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, So they're proud of what they've done, right? They think, oh, this is is great. Maybe in Saul's kind of world and in Abner's world, people celebrated that kind of stuff. You're like, you did that? That was awesome. You're going to be a made man, you know? Forever sealed you are the deal. You're in the family. You've done this for us, you know, this great work. They go to David, and they said to the king, here is the head of Ishbosheth. So they're bringing their prize before him. Here is his head. He is they make it clear, the son of Saul, your enemy. Like, it's almost like they've been thinking about how do I tell this story? You remember Ishbosheth who's been like the false king? He here he is. Remember Saul's son? Remember all that Saul did to you? Remember all the trouble that he brought upon you? Here he is. You see your enemy? Here he is. What, what happens to enemies in David's kingdom? They get their heads cut off. That's what they want to be. Kind of They're pushing towards him. And they said on top of that, remember, he sought your life. He sought your life. Like, Aren't you going to be proud of us, David? Don't you think this is awesome? Aren't we good people to be kind of on your team? Then, they say, the Lord has avenged my Lord the King this day on Saul and on his offspring. In fact, we were doing the Lord's work. You see, like we're doing what the Lord would have us do. It's almost as if they had been commissioned by God to go and like stab this man and cut his head off while he was sleeping so it's like they're they 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 would kind of bring this to him in a way that's like just don't you see this David then you stop and think about it for a moment you think does the Lord sanction crime to accomplish his will are these men really seeking the kingdom of God? If David was sitting there and just kind of in a not-so-good place, you could see how he might be like, um, think, man, that's a relief. I don't have to deal with that, you know? But, but he's not that kind of king. So what we see here, I think you could say, is God does not use evil to accomplish His purposes. If you think... now. Ultimately, we, that might not be the best way to say that. We know that evil, there, there's all of these acts of evil that are being done in the world that are ultimately accomplishing His purpose. But God is not like saying, hey, go do evil so you can accomplish my purpose. Hey, Jared, go out and sin so you can accomplish my purpose. I, I want you to go sin today in this way. I want you to like assassinate that person's character today. I'm got, I'm directing you to that. Go on. Do my bidding. That's not how it works. If you think that you're doing the will of God by doing wrong, you're gravely mistaken. That's kind of what you would say here, right? But you do have to say, I mean, if we're honest, sometimes you say this kind of thing would cross your mind. You probably thought of this. You probably... Maybe you say, I haven't thought about killing somebody, but you've thought about like getting things done in the wrong way to go ahead and make everything right so that everything's in an ordered way and, and things will be right and good at the end. Have you ever watched someone do wrong by lying or stealing or committing some evil act and claiming that they were trying to ensure? That justice was served. People do that kind of thing regularly. But what does the scripture say? Romans 12, 17 through 21. Repay no one for evil, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So in the context of this study injustice cannot establish the kingdom beware of like unbridled evil. Uh, beware of like theology that is misapplied. I mean, when they're saying, when they're speaking about God, it's not that God doesn't avenge his servants, but, but they, they've misapplied it here. Third thing you see is theology properly applied. Look at verse 9. But David answered Rechab and Baana his brother, the sons of Ramon, the, the Beershethite, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. What is he saying? What's he say? When you're thinking about this, what is he saying to them? He's saying to them, the Lord has always rescued me out of every adversity, I have not had to take it into my own hands and do some evil act. I have not had to go and attack people. I have not had to go and like maneuver around and make sure that I took someone out even if it was from behind. I have not had to take the law into my own hands. I have not had to do what was evil in the sight of God to accomplish His plan. I don't have to take it into my own hands to to save myself and rescue myself. David faced a lot of trouble. David went through all kinds of things where people spoke evil of him. They sought his life. He ran around and was hiding in places, He, he lived in caves. He faced great trouble. But every time, when you read the Psalms, they are written over and over in times of great trouble where he finds his back against the wall saying, Lord, you rescue me. Not only that, there are times when the Lord uh, allows for things to happen in such a way where he would be able to take it into his hands. He would be able to take the law into his own hands and say, I'm going to deal with this today. The Lord a couple of times put Saul before him where he could have struck him down dead. And he didn't. Why? Why? Why would he not do that? Because God is the one who rescued him. God is the one who would redeem his life God is the one who delivered him from adversity. He did not need to stand up for himself and do what was wrong in order to make things right. Does that ever happen in your family, where you're in the middle of something and you think, like, if I don't stand up for myself right now, I will not. If I don't stand up for myself, if I don't fight back then like things won't be this way. If I don't push back on them or if I don't like attack them with my tongue, then it's not going to get done. God's not going to take care of me. it's it's, It's one of those things where you're saying like, hold on just a second, misapplied theology, misapplied theology is this, I mean, we're doing the Lord's work. God wouldn't let something like that go on and be, He's not going to let that go on. So I got to straighten it out. Like, properly applied theology would be this He has delivered me, He has redeemed me. He has rescued me. Have I faced adversity? Yes. Has my back been against the wall? Yes. Has trouble come to me more than the average man? Yes. Multiplied, you know, multiple times more. As an anointed king. I mean, trouble. But what? As the Lord lives, He has redeemed me out of every Adversity. Could you trust the Lord in this way? Could could you like not take it into your own hands and trust Him? Could your adversity be a means by which you could like just say, I'm going to bow before the Lord and say, you've delivered the saints throughout the ages. You'll deliver me. I believe that. I trust that. Do Do you believe that? You see over and over in the scriptures where the proper place for the people of God to be is crying out and then standing by and seeing his salvation. If you say, that's great and all, but I think that's good. If you said to yourself like, man, I mean... Shortcuts have worked pretty good a lot this this far. I've enjoyed like shortcutting God's redeeming work, His saving work, on my behalf. Shortcuts end up with experiencing God's discipline, and shortcuts are not the way of the kingdom. 1 Peter 2, 21-24 for, for, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in His footsteps. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile. And in turn, when He suffered, He did not threaten but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. It went so far as in verse 24 where he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So injustice cannot establish the kingdom. Beware of unbridled evil. Beware of theology misapplied. Instead, we would want to encourage ourselves in theology properly applied. Then in verses 10 through 12, 12, we see justice served. When one told me, behold, Saul is dead, and, and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziglag, this is David speaking, which was the reward I gave him for this news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed them and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. Now you say, Whoa, hold on just a second. So David can, like, he could kill somebody, but they can't? Like, what, what is that? I think it's just important for you to note that, like, David is the king. Judge, jury, executioner. David's the king. David is responsible to uphold justice. When there's injustice, he assures that there's justice that's going to be done. When someone commits a crime, he ensures that they are punished for the crime. So when David is doing this, he's not doing it in some way where he's like, taking the law into his own hands, he has been anointed by God to uphold the law, to keep the people living under the law. And so when someone does something at this level, he he enacts the law, the standards given by God, and he shows them to be a cursed lot. Those two, falling under the judgment of God, they have committed murder they will be punished or given a, a punishment deserving of one who's done so. It's his role in the kingdom. He was king. He is acting consist- He has acted consistently with the way he dealt with that Amalekite. He is acting consistently here. He says, you have, you have treated this righteous man in this way. You've killed him on his bed. And therefore, you have no defense and they were punished. And David ensured, it was like a public display for all to see that these kind of things do not go unpunished here. So when you think about God's kingdom, when you say, what is this kingdom like? You ever get that confused? You ever think of God like the kings of the earth where they use unholy means to bring about whatever result they they, they deem right. That's not how God works. God is just, and the only way that you um, and we get into the kingdom is not through the back door, not through some shady deal, not through some dark way where we say, God, I straighten this out for you now. Don't you want me in? Don't you want, don't, you let henchmen in too? That's not the, the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is is not by trying to like bring your filthy deeds, wicked deeds to the Lord and say, look at what I've done for you. That's not how you enter in. If we seek His kingdom, when we come to Him, we we come to Him recognizing that we're not proud of the things that we've done, but we would be broken over the things that we've done. Instead of... um, Thinking when we're thinking about it, you could say instead of thinking in terms of like, "Won't he approve of me because of all I've done?" Instead, we would come as a wayward, broken sinner, bowed before him, saying, "With empty, bloodied hands, I come in need of your salvation." The Scripture says the only way that we can truly be made right, that the only way that we could be treated um, in, in a way where we would be accepted into the kingdom would be through another. Ephesians 1, 7-10 says, In Him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of His will. We need a king, not only like David who would uphold justice, but one who was perfectly just himself and then justified us through his sacrificial death on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Injustice is not the way to enter in. The only way that you could enter in is if justice was done. And, and what we know in the Bible is the king greater than David not only perfectly lived a perfectly just life, he also embraced the justice of God, God's judgment upon him so that you and I could be saved. He he was the embodiment of what it means to be um, perfection on display. And then he endured the wrath of God on our behalf. And not only that, as his people now, We are seeking to walk in a way in the strength that He provides that would be pleasing to Him so that we would be known as those who live according to a kingdom that is not of this world that brings honor and glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would help us see um, how, how how to grasp the wonderful nature of Your justice being poured out upon Your Son so that we could be made right, so that we could be declared justified, so that we could be ultimately glorified. We thank You for that, Lord. We thank You that we see that the kingdom is not like this age and that if we are going to walk in Your ways, It will not be by cutting corners, but instead by sacrificially laying down our lives and serving others. We pray that we would follow in the steps of Christ in the grace that is provided by your Spirit. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.